You may be wondering about my title on my sermon. It says, success is something you track by the person you become. That was a quote. The quote's too good, so I had to put that in there. And you know what the world values actually as success is what you do. That's what makes you successful. And and this is the, the person you become. This is totally different. I want to thank everybody that's participated so far. And I want to talk about success, but I want to talk more about, you know, success. We think of it, success as pleasure. Whatever you accomplish, whatever you do. So I want to focus on that a little bit. And I'm going to start off with by reading Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 11. But before I do that, while you're looking for it, I want to just say a few thoughts. God gave us hands and we used use it to do things against him god gave us feet we use it to walk away from him instead of taking those things away from us he gave us his son so i want to start by asking a couple of questions why is there so much pain in the world right now have you ever asked this question why is there so much pain in the world and solomon asked this question you would think that Job would be the one asking this question. Solomon, the symbol of success, asks us this question. So I want to turn to Ecclesiastes 2 and let's read verses 1 to 11. And it says, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth. What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my work great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had great possession, greater possession of herds and flock than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and, the, and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers the delights of the sons of men in music, musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my heart eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. And I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and gra grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. How many of you guys have ever gotten a letter from Publishers Clearinghouse? <laughs> have you ever dreamt what you were going to do with the money after you won it? I have. My wife still sends letters out periodically when we get... I, I got to provide the stamp. She has to fill it out, and then we have fun discussing this is what we're going to do with it. 
Here Solomon's got all the stuff that I could wish for and more. And was he happy? He wasn't. You're absolutely right. So I want to ask a question. Who's more needy? The person who lacks food and clothing or the person who doesn't care if another person lacks food or clothing? The one that doesn't care. You're right. You're right. So we define success by our bank account, our electronic Rolodex, who's on it, friends in high places, value of our real estate holdings, the smartness of our kids. My dad used to brag on his kids being smart. He left me out. But, you know, a lot of times we do that as parents, don't we? We talk about our kids and we our trophy wives or our trophy husbands, significant others. Solomon had all this and more. I read 14,000 people ate from his kitchen daily. And yet he had a hunger in his soul. And here is Solomon asking a question at the end of life filled with pleasure. And it's a question about the good life or a life filled with goods. Oh, before I forget, I was going to preach on something else because when I was in a prayer meeting, I had mentioned my title of my sermon is going to be The Least of These Part 2. And... And I came across some more stuff that I want to add to it. So I'm going to keep use that at another time. And this this particular sermon, I, I first spoke about it back in 2013. And I was looking through it on Wednesday or Thursday when I found out that I, I needed to preach this week. And it hit me differently than when I first read these things back in 2013. You know, that's the funny thing about the Bible. You can read the same thing because you're in a different place tomorrow. It hits you differently. So if we ask the person on the street, what's what would be defined as success? Would it be that much different from Solomon's? Not really. Money in the bank, ability to travel, be attractive to others, work on your terms and be wise. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So there are three principles that are needed for true success. And before we get to that first principle, in Judges 7, Gideon faced the Midianites with an army of 32,000 men. Instead, God asked him to downsize. From 32,000, he went down to 10,000. That was a pretty big drop, wasn't it? But it was still too many. How did Gideon end up with his final number? The water, right. And from 32,000, anybody, can can you do fast math? When you get down to 300, what percentage of a drop that was? What's that? It's a big drop. I like your answer. (laughs) What's that? Oh, it's more than that. It's much. It's less than what? Less than. It's more than ninety-nine percent. So first, first principle that I want to look at is anything that refreshes you without diminishing or distracting you from your goal is a legitimate pleasure. So what does it say about our goals? Should we have goals? We should, because if we don't have a goal, we're going to have emptiness in our life. So. 
Every company has a mission statement that guides its employees. And if you want to work for a good company, you want to know what their mission statement is. So the question is, do we have a mission statement for our lives? If you don't have one, take time this afternoon to write it down. And it doesn't hurt to be unoriginal. You can copy somebody else's. And something I'm going to recommend doing, if you go through the testimonies or in the Bible, look through it. You'll find examples of mission statements in there. John Wesley, we've all heard of John Wesley. He was one of 19 children of Suzanne Wesley. Some of you may have heard, you know, back then in London, where I think they lived in London, houses were really small. Some of us have watched programs on TV where we have micro-homes. That's what they had pretty much, a micro-home. I think it was like 11 by 16 house, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And she had 19 kids in, in her home, and she was a godly woman. Do you know how she took time? She took time every day for God. And she didn't tell the kids, get out of the house. Some of you remember how she did this. Exactly. She put an apron over her face, and the kids knew not to disturb her when she had that over her head. And she took time to commune with God. And she was one of 29. And you know, they could have started their own church. In, fa in fact, one of her kids did. <laughs> and one day, John Wesley asked his mom for a definition of sin. And here's what she said. Son, if anything weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things, if anything increases authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that becomes sin however good it was, it is in itself. If anything takes away from the power of God, it's a sin. So, anything distracts you from your final goal, if it distracts you, it's not a legitimate pleasure. So the question becomes, what is your final, what is your goal? So take that time this afternoon and put, get a mission statement for your life. And you know, that'd be a good thing to share sometime in the future. In the cave, cave of Adulam, we all know the story about David. He was wanting water from a well in Bethlehem. And three of his men, and this is found in 2 Samuel 23, we're not going to read it, verses 15 to 17. And three of his men at peril to their own lives they crossed enemy lines to get it. And David was really surprised when he got it, when he got the water. Just as he was about to drink it, he stopped. He realized that the lives of those three men was more valuable than his pleasure. And this brings us to principle number two. Any pleasure that causes harm to another is illicit pleasure. So we always want to be on the thinking of the good of others, be outwardly focused. And that adage still applies today. So in, in David's story, if what if David had acted reacted differently when he laid eyes on Bathsheba? What is what would his life have been like? He could have saved himself a lot of heartache. And the advice still applies sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap conduct. 
sow conduct and you reap character. Sow character and you reap destiny. We can all make mistakes and we all have made mistakes, but there's hope for us. So this is one of the subtlest principles. It doesn't matter what your calling is. It'll test your character. Sometimes we can do things for a noble cause, but there's a debt to pay. So any pleasure that causes harm to another is illicit pleasure. Next one, I mean, let's turn to Proverbs 25, 16. And this is another thing about pleasure. And this one applies especially to me. We don't have to worry about that at this church this week because I don't think you have potluck this week, do you? Okay. And it reads, Proverbs twenty-five sixteen, Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. That's the principle of gluttony, isn't it? Here's another thought as far as pleasure goes. Meaningless, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Does anybody know what the rest of that says? It comes from being weary of pleasure. You know, all my life I've been wanting that check from Publishers Clearinghouse. If I had that, I could do this and this and this. But it doesn't come from having all those things. No one is so fed up with life as one who has exhausted pleasure. That's what Solomon was dealing with. And the closer you get to pure pleasure, the closer you get to the heart of God. The far, and the converse of that is the farther you get to pure, I mean, the closer you get to impure pleasure, the farther you get away from God. So C.S. Lewis, some of you have heard of him. In the screw tape letters, he writes of a junior devil being mentored by the senior devil on how to seduce man away from God. The junior devil was shown the man's routine and was told to report back at the completion of his assignment. And a few days later, the junior devil reported back to Satan and he said we lost him and the devil asked what did you do the junior devil said I didn't do anything in the morning the man would take a long relaxing walk and the enemy would speak to him at the end of the day he would read a good book and the enemy would speak to him the senior devil said to him do you see your mistake in the morning when the man took those long walks you should have put it in his mind to do it for physical exercise alone. And when at the end of the day, you should have left a hint that reading a good book would allow him to show others how learned he was so that what he would read would not filter into his mind. Satan's subtle, isn't he? So do you know what your heart longs for? It longs for intimacy that touches both body and soul. How many of you heard of a person named Ravi Zacharias? A lot of you have. I wanted to share a story that he he mentioned. Back in 1971, I think he was a he was getting ready to go into a senior year of college in Toronto, I believe. And this was 1971, and everybody remember what was going on in 71? Vietnam War, exactly. So they asked him if he would go to Vietnam. And he, so he was supposed to encourage the missionaries there, preach to the troops. And he had a, he had a translator that was with him 
from Vietnam named Hen, Fa Hen Pham. He was an energetic young man, really good translator. The U.S. Army used him quite a bit for, in order to help with the translation. He was a civilian, and he knew English so well that they used him repeatedly. And the missionaries used him also because of his language skills. And he and Ravi and South and Hen traveled all over Viet, South Vietnam, and he became very good friends with Ravi Zacharias. At the end of their, at the end of Ravi's mission trip, he bade him goodbye and returned back to Toronto. And neither of them knew if their paths would cross. And within four years, as you know, in 1975, South Vietnam fell, and Hin's fate was unknown. Seventeen years after 1971, Ravi Zacharias got a phone call, and. And the phone call began with Brother Ravi, and immediately Ravi said, I, heard, I recognize that voice. And, and they started talking about what, what was going on, and then he asked him, how did he manage to get out of Vietnam and come to the States? And Hin mentioned that as soon as the North Vietnamese went got to South Vietnam and captured it, he was he they found out that he'd worked with the US military. He'd worked with missionaries. They put him in long prison term to indoctrinate him. And then they found out also that he loved English. So guess what they gave him? Books in French and Vietnamese. And it dealt with Marx and Engels, because they wanted to indoctrinate him. And he could not read anything in English, nothing about capitalism, nothing about democracy. And, and he was repeatedly put in prison, and his heart began to break. And after a few years, he began to doubt, is there a God? Here I am in prison, and I've been praying, nothing is happening. And slowly he started to waver. And it got so bad that he began to doubt whether there was a God, and he decided, I'm going to quit praying. So the next day he said, I'm, I've already prayed today. Tomorrow I'm going to not pray. And the, and the commandant of the camp, or commandant of the camp where he was in prison, he had a role to play in this. And the next day, Hin was in the camp, and he got orders to clean the latrines. That was the worst job in the camp. Absolute worst. Everybody hated that job. And he didn't have an option. He was he was ordered to clean the camp. Now these are... How many of you camped where you've gone to a national park where there's no running water in the toilet? You have a hole in the ground. McCreary County used to have that. Scott County, I know, had, had it. I've got a lot of patients that keep telling me about how they experienced those things. They had several bathrooms, but they all happened to be open pits. So we 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 know what we're what what's going on. Anyway, these were six foot and eight foot pits, and he had to clean those things out. That was his job. It was the like I said, it was the worst job in there. And he and he gets in there, and he starts cleaning, and he comes across there was some paper, and and he f sees this p piece of paper. With all the stuff on it, he noticed it was in English. That perked his interest. 
So he gets it out and wipes it as good as he can, puts it in his back pocket. And after he gets done cleaning that pit, that evening he goes to his bed and he had a flashlight under the mosquito netting and he took it out and wiped it and read it real carefully. It was Romans 8. And I want to kind of read that. And and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we lay say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who he did not spare his own son, but gave him for all of us, for us all. How will we, he also, not also along with us, with him graciously give us all things? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? He read those words. And all of a sudden, his thought that I'm not going to pray anymore changed. Those memories of, of God started coming back to him. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't hold his tears back. And he asked God for forgiveness. God had other plans for him. And the next day, you know, when God touches you, you're not the same person anymore, are you? The next day, Hin went to the went to the officer in charge and asked for a job assignment. What do you think the job assignment was? Clean another toilet, exactly. And apparently, what was happening, and Hin did this several days, and he kept getting more parts of the Bible. the The commandant of the commandant of the camp, he had a distaste for for Christianity. And he was tearing pages out of the Bible and wiping himself after he went to the bathroom. And those were exactly the things that Hin needed in order to be shown that God was in charge of his life. And pretty soon he had a significant portion of the Bible. And when I read that story, you know, I've got, I think I've got about at least eight or ten of these things in my house. And most time, most of them are not even read. I think I keep them in order to show you, if you came to my house, in order to show you how learned I am. Is that the reason to have a Bible? It's in order to show me how to be as humble as possible. And that only comes with God's word. Anyway, in the story of Hen, after a few years, he gets out of, he gets out of prison, and then he starts having secret plans to escape from Vietnam. And he's, and he got together with some other people, and soon there's him and 53 other people that are in secret working on building a boat. And they were going to try to escape and go to Thailand. And they're working on it, and one day, there's a knock on his door. And four Viet Cong, or I should say now at this point, Vietnamese soldiers show up. And they asked him, we hear you're doing something illegal. And he said, oh, no, I'm not. And they asked him, are you building a boat? And he he denied any knowledge of that. And apparently his answers must have been good enough because they left. That evening, he thought about his relationship with God. And then again, he, he, had, to, he had to break down because he said, God, I lied to those men. If you want me to be a Christian, allow me to share again. If they ask me that question again, I will tell them the truth and I will face my consequences. And a few weeks later, those 
soldiers showed up again at his door. And this time they asked, asked him again if he was building a boat. And he said, 53 other people and myself, we are building a boat. And he was prepared to face the consequences. Then they said, we want to come with you. And miraculously, they were able to escape. And, and then the rest of the story is, apparently there's a lot of storms in the ocean in that part of the world. And he said, if those four soldiers who happened to be experts in boating also, if they weren't there, that their boat would have totally capsized. Isn't it funny how God uses people in, that we don't think are, will make a difference? It's just, this is just like the story of a, a few weeks ago we talked about Elijah's, Elijah's experience. He goes to the widow and widow Zarephath and she didn't have any food. So she made the last meal for Elijah and that's what saved her and her son. So anyway, that's, and then after that, he was in, Hin was in Thailand and then he got permission from the U.S. government to come to the States. And today he's a businessman in, I think in California. So this brings us to principle number three that I want to share. Any pleasure, however good, if it's not in balance, will distort reality and appetite. And the balanced life is hard to follow. We all know the example of balance found in Ecclesiastes 3 verses 2. There's a time and a place for everything, isn't there? That's what Ecclesiastes 3 is. And so going to church is important. What if you're in church all the time? Is that a good thing? No, it's not. You come to be blessed, then you go out to be a light to the world. So, as a review, anything that refreshes you without diminishing or distracting you from your goal is a legitimate pleasure. Any pleasure that causes harm to another is an illicit pleasure, and any pleasure, however good, if it's not in balance, will distort reality. In biblical times, your success was just literally based on your home address. Your address gave a wealth of information. It opened doors. And it wasn't surprising when Nathaniel found out that Jesus was from Nazareth. Do you remember his resp first response? Come Nazareth, exactly. And Jesus did not give a street name. He just said, come and see. I'm going to conclude with, all pleasure must be bought at the price of pain. For true pleasure, the price is paid at the beginning. And you can end up paying, saying no to pleasure if it's in question and it might hurt. Now, if, if the pleasure is illicit, you, you, you gain your pleasure at the beginning and you pay for it at the end. And stated differently, we must all suffer from one of two types of pain. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The pain of discipline weighs ounces. The pain of regret weighs in tons. How many of you experienced that? I've experienced that lots of times. And the problem is sometimes I'm too stubborn to learn. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and, and a future. So your greatest search in life ends when you realize you're in the hands of God. You know, the word pain comes from the Greek word hasab. 
and the root meaning is of the word of this word is words in other words god is constantly thinking of us he sees my success in terms of eternity as a fallen human being and the problem is i see my success in terms of today this moment and i can't understand it but god wants me to win even at the cost of his son at the cross so success is not so much what we have as much as what we are in the story of saul saul in the new testament he became paul and i found an illustration in in a nature magazine this makes a great children's story but i want to share this with you about the caterpillar and the butterfly you know the caterpillar can't just change its shape and and get a set of wings in order to become a butterfly there's a particular kind of cell called the imaginal cell that begins to appear in the caterpillar it's treated as a foreign body and then it's destroyed these cells have a different kind of energy and frequency than the caterpillar cells and as these imaginal cells are they, as they pop up they're destroyed but soon their number overwhelms the caterpillar the new cells end up consuming the older cells and we end up with a butterfly a new creature from the inside out that's exactly what christianity is and in acts of the apostles in page 494 it says and i want to read these quotes to you paul was brought before nero alone in the courtroom he wasn't alone the lord stood with him nero was at the height of his earthly power no pleasure beyond his reach the contrast between the aged disciple of christ and the emperor was obvious was paul always like this he wasn't and listen to the rest of ellen white's comments on this when the accusations were urged against him paul preserved an unbroken serenity the people and the judges looked upon him in surprise they had been present at many trials of others and had looked upon many a criminal but had never seen a man wear such a holy calmness as did this prisoner before them the keen eyes of the judges accustomed to read a, read the countenance of the prisoners searched paul's face in vain for some evidence of guilt when he was permitted to speak on his behalf all listened with eager interest paul's heart was in the same place as the savior's on the cross jesus last words to man were to the dying thief dying there with him paul lost side of the peril he was in he was more concerned about their salvation and his topic was on the banner of the cross and here's what i found really interesting about paul only a few battle-hardened soldiers were allowed to witness paul's martyrdom for fear of his influence the power of the spirit filled life of a spirit filled life is that paul's witness changed the lives of several of those soldiers who witnessed his last day and my prayer is each of us that all of you will have success and allow god to plan that spirit filled life in each of our lives because you know when we plan those stages of success in our lives it ends up being that we get pulled away from god and i want each of us to have the experience where we're drawn closer towards him father in heaven thank you so much for calvary though we don't deserve any of this your love just shows 
what true love is. If we've been blessed by your love, help us to share that love with others. Because to win the race is not to finish first, it's to bring others with us to the, to the finish line. Thank you for being with us this morning, we pray. And be with those that are not here today. And also be with us the rest of the week. And this whole coming week also, we pray. Bless us for we ask in thy name. Amen.